Sean, it's over. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. I'm in love with somebody else. My old boyfriend, Victor, and that's none of your fucking business, actually. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Victor? Yeah? What the fuck are you writing me letters? Wow. Deal with it, Sean. It's over. Rock and roll. Lauren, I want to know you. What does that mean? Know me. Know me. Nobody knows anyone else, ever. You will never, ever know me. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 134 The Rules of Attraction. This one's been on the list for a long time, I think, right? Yeah, it's been a long time coming for this one. A really? movie that we both really like. I don't know that it gets talked about all that much. Yeah, it's one of those semi-cult classic hidden gems from the early 2000s. It's think- ca- It can be a bit of a tough, tough watch. There's <laughs> some pretty harsh things in the movie. Yeah, it's one of those movies that you know that when it was, like, test screened, it was just a disaster. Right. Like, everyone was like, the characters are so unlikable. (laughs) It's like, yeah, no shit. Well, plus it's, like, coming in, you know, right at the end of that, all of those teen movies, like, that time period, and you have, like, James Vanderbeek, Jessica Biel. Well, it's funny you should say that, because I see this movie as, like, a logical next step. The inevitable conclusion of the asshole sociopathic characters that populate teen movies and romantic comedies. Oh, yeah, okay. Because when you think about it, those movies are presented much more bubbly. They're not very R rated, let's yeah. say, like this. This but, is the harsh reality of when you get to college. But those characters are often psycho. Sure. When you think about how they act, right. and they are very, like, of the themselves and very of the id and only care about one thing which is like oh i gotta get this girl i like i gotta get this boy like whatever and especially the side characters really what it's all about though who make the bets with the jock to make the (laughs) uncool girl cool or whatever and so this is what happens next to those bad guys they go to camden and they become sean bateman but before we get into the rules of attraction let's address the episode being a little late just horrible illness going on (laughs) yeah everything was delayed a little bit longer than expected if you listened to the glow episode you knew that we were going to take at least one week off but we had hoped to get this up on our usual sunday nights and it doesn't seem like that's going to be happening oh it's not going to be that late probably hopefully not (laughs) well we'll see yeah (laughs) 
So here we are. All's well, though. I mean, we're not ending the show. I know probably anytime we go on a, a little bit of a hiatus, people panic. This one, this will probably be a tough one to get through. <laughs> uh, you getting over your sickness. I, I keep losing my voice. I've been dealing with a little bit of a sore throat. Yeah. It's just that time of year, really. I think yeah. spring is a time that I get sick more often than any other time of the year. Allergies. I don't know. (laughs) Going to West Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as always, follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on iTunes. We are back and hopefully get back into the weekly routine for a while at least. So here we go. Rules of attraction. Similarly to... 25th hour i this came out around the same time and i saw it at the same theater i think the first time i saw this it was a definitely a rental it may have been a vhs rental i don't know wow right around that time period yeah maybe i definitely don't remember this on vhs but i mean dvds were out at this time but i don't know if i had made the leap yeah i was interested in brady sinellis by this point and had already read the book prior to the movie coming out and this was a a day and age especially being younger and it being the early time of the internet i where things would kind of just jump out to you like oh shit this book that i like they're making a movie and now it's coming out immediately well this is not like i knew about this movie a year in advance and then all sure you know well at this point i would say i had no idea who brett easton ellis was Really, I, I don't think I would have had any idea who Roger Avery was. Mm-hmm. I think this was something that I would have seen because, oh, I know who these people are that are in it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, well, that's probably the idea of trying to cast some of these people. So, The Rules of Attraction, 2002, directed by Roger Avery, the original novel by Bretty Snellis, adapted for the screen by Avery. And really, it, I guess you would describe it as a black, comedy drama comedy underlined three times on my notes because i found this movie to be really funny even now all these years later it is funny it is i think probably offensive a little bit as well certainly and the way things are presented in 2002 they probably would not be handled necessarily the same way especially the opening stuff with lauren because they don't really describe that as a rape, even though it definitely oh, is. Oh, for sure. And you, it's kind of just shrugged off because even though... That's a hard scene to watch. The movie version of Lauren is so different from the book that it's hard to keep it straight, but they present her way more sympathetic in the movie. She's like the least sociopathic, Horrible. Yeah. even though she's slightly... It's like a scale where she's like the least then Paul, then Sean at the top as being the worst. But in the book, it's much more like they're all the same. This is Ellis's favorite adaptation of his work. He said, quote, My favorite movie out of the four was The Rules of Attraction. I thought it was the only one that captured the sensibility of the novel in a cinematic way. Now, hold on. Can I interject? It's less than zero American Psycho this, and what's the fourth? The Informers. Oh, Wow, okay. Which he did the screenplay for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. With Amber Heard. Right. The Informers was just a collection of short stories. It wasn't a novel, though. Okay. So, (laughs) there, you know. (laughs) (laughs) 
so we covered Lesson Zero probably about a year ago. I don't really remember. Yeah, it definitely happened. I can confirm. And that is notoriously a bad representation of the source material. I mean, it doesn't really even come close. I mean, there's not really that many similarities at all. Sure. I mean, people could call it a bad movie. (laughs) (laughs) Not you. That was a solid Matt pick. (laughs) But The Rules of Attraction is very similar to the novel in a lot of ways. The Rules of Attraction is way less dark than Less Than Zero, which turns into like a really horrifying thing by the end of it. Yeah. The Rules of Attraction isn't great, but it's more like just dark humor. Right. It's not very optimistic about. No, there's no optimism, but there also isn't like, you know, a 13 year old girl like tied up to a bed or like snuff films or like whatever else is at the end of that book. How long has it been since you've read this book? I just reread it. Okay. I have but, some questions, so. Okay, yeah. As it goes along. Also, in addition to us doing less than zero, we've also now covered the Vanderbeek Big Three. Like the How thing, about that? The things that you would most know. Don't trust the B in apartment 23? <laughs> well, that's the fourth. We're, okay, we'll get to it right. eventually. Yeah, I mean, we did Varsity Blues very early on. We did an, an episode of Dawson's Creek. Right. I believe, what, the pilot? Yeah. And now, Rules of Attraction. The three things that I would know him from, really. Would you have thought that going, <laughs> in, going into this podcast that we would have hit all three? It's a very strange role for Vanderbeek to play, but once you see it, it makes sense. Because they originally cast James Franco. Oh, wow. Which, you know, would have been Was this like on the heels of the first Spider-Man movie at this point? would have been around the same time. Okay. I mean, Freaks and Geeks would have been over. So, I mean, people probably were familiar with him. I think Avery decided to go with Vanderbeek because he thought Franco was too on the nose. Like, it was too much exactly like the book. Okay. And he wanted to kind of go in a different direction with it. And I think it, it ends up working just because Vanderbeek's got that look where you're not sure if he's smart or dumb. (laughs) <laughs> and you're true. never sure yeah. if Sean is smart or dumb. It's true. You don't really know what's going on with him. He certainly seems oblivious to things. Yeah. Yeah, the way that they present a lot of events in this movie are interesting, and we'll get to all that stuff as we go along. So one of the things that I find interesting about the Rules of Attraction is it's kind of this hub in the middle of all of Brett Easton Ellis's work, and it connects a lot of the different characters from the different stories together and it almost creates this bizarre shared universe that predates even like the view universe of kevin sure. smith or something what do you think about these shared universes a lot of writers do stuff like that yeah. it's like little like even in stephen king like the right. characters will sometimes pop up i did notice in the pet cemetery the new pet cemetery that they had oh it was actually you were uh not present at the theater for this but they drove by a sign for the town of Derry. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I mean, it's mostly fun for people that have read all of the books and for people who haven't, they might not notice it. Right. Especially since a lot of the stuff was ultimately not in the film. I think for me, sometimes it, I like it. I do like a degree of it. Sometimes it's overkill. Sometimes it gets me, it's like distracting. Like it gets me thinking about it too much. We are just like, wait, this is Patrick Bateman's brother. 
Yeah, and and like, what's in, the significance of that? In books, he predates Patrick Bateman. Okay, yeah. Sean existed in, I believe, eighty-seven is when this novel came out. Right. And American Psycho doesn't come out until nineteen ninety. Although I will say, you know, I've read that quote from Brady Sinellis before. Since I've only seen the movies and not read the books, it makes me think I don't even know Patrick Bateman. When he has like a, you know, his comment about that director not really getting the source material or like hinting towards that, it makes me feel like the character that I've seen on screen isn't really his version of it. So you're you're talking about the Christian Bale portrayal? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think he... I think there's some bitterness over American Psycho related material just in general, and I, I'm not sure if he's being completely fair. Okay, I I do think American Psycho is pretty close to what I took from the book. All right, okay. maybe I'm, I'm, but like I don't know. Who I mean who knows? Maybe I'm missing something as well. But the idea is that Sean Bateman is Patrick Bateman's younger brother. He goes to this college while Patrick Bateman is in New York. There is a chapter in The Rules of Attraction told from the perspective of Patrick Bateman, which, like I said, predates anything from American Psycho. And there's no real hint of what Patrick Bateman would become in Ellis's next novel. However, it's pretty short. So, I mean, you can't really draw a lot from it. And Clay from Less Than Zero goes to Camden, and he's the dude from LA which I think they only show on camera for a second in the movie what towards scene the beginning it's when Sean is doing his opening and he's like going through what his options okay before yeah. he fucks Kate Bosworth right. and he goes I could play quarters with so and so so and that dude from LA oh okay and he's like yeah. that obnoxious looking guy Avery wanted to do a scene with Andrew McCarthy and Jamie Gertz like coming to the college as adults like to maybe do some sort of like oh wow you know donation or something but he ultimately was like it didn't really make sense and i was thinking he wanted to try to do a scene with uh christian bale in it is that something that yes that is true and they did film a scene with casper van dien playing patrick bateman and it's fucking horrible (laughs) because it's on youtube avery himself put that scene on youtube it's not on the blu-ray or anything right and it's the part where right after Sean Bateman leaves Fred Savage's room after okay. he steals that book, he it cuts out like right there in the movie. But in the scene online, he walks down the hall and calls his brother on a pay on that payphone. Yeah, yeah. And so then you see Patrick Bateman like in his office, like pacing around. And they wanted to get Christian Bale to do it, and Bale didn't want to do it. Right. Thankfully, because it would have been stupid. Yeah. There really wasn't any need to do that other than just for like a very small select group of um, Ellis fans that would think that this was fun. It doesn't really add anything to what's going on in the movie. Right. I also think it would have been just like distracting. I'd just be like, why is that? Why is that scene in there? Yeah. I guess just to like let people know that he's his brother. But I mean, I don't know. It's kind of irrelevant. But it's, well, that's the thing. And like Sean Bateman, while he's certainly like kind of a dark figure in this movie, he seems like way more human to me than Patrick Bateman does. Yeah. I think the idea is that they're both suffering from different mental things. 
Because I think the idea in the universe of rules of attraction is that like whatever Patrick Bateman is doing is not real. Like he he never right. killed anybody or anything. Yeah. But he's like this ruthless psychopath who's who thinks of his brother as kind of like an aimless loser. Like why is he wasting his time not doing anything? Okay. So the actual story of the rules of attraction is set in the fictional Camden College based off of Bennington College where Brady Snellis really went, centering mostly on the romantic entanglements of three jaded students, Sean Bateman, played by James Vanderbeek, Paul Denton, played by Ian Summerhalder, and Lauren Hind, played by Shannon Sossaman. Now, this is the second time we talked about Sossaman because we talked about one missed call on one of the early Give Us a Second. Wow. <laughs> Where it all went wrong for Shannon Sossaman. I guess. I don't know. Uh, she, it seemed like she had like a good run here. She definitely had like a very unique look. Definitely think she has like her fans. I mean, throughout time, yeah. I remember her being referenced like a lot as like an, an actress that dudes were into. Oh, yeah. Like definitely scene dudes, emo dudes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> she attracted a certain type. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why things didn't work out better for her. She's super cute in this movie. I think she went to pl- went on to play in a band for a while. I think she was in the band Warpaint. Oh, yeah, the girl that commits suicide in the movie is in that band with her. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. And her sister, too, I think. In addition to those three, Jessica Biel, Kit Pardue, Kate Bosworth, Jay Baruchel, Thomas Ian Nicholas, a.k.a. the rookie of the year himself. That's right. Clifton Collins Jr., Faye Dunaway, Susie Kurtz, Eric Stoltz and Fred Savage also appear. It is a lot of recognizable names and faces. Kind of a crazy cast. Faye Dunaway, I was like, wow. There were probably a lot of people interested in being in this movie, and Jessica Biel being in it definitely fits in with with our theme of good girls gone bad that we've talked about plenty of times. What were your thoughts on her looks in this movie? Off the charts. I know. I mean, just unbelievable. (laughs) She's way too hot to be in this movie. It doesn't make sense. If a... (laughs) <laughs> girl that looked like this went to college anywhere. <laughs> just yeah. people following her around nonstop. Sometimes that's the thing with like some actresses. It's like they're too good looking to be in a movie because it doesn't make sense at right. that point. Because then the whole thing would be about how hot they are yeah. at all times. And I mean, I know that that's fun. wrong and yeah. disgusting, but that's just the way that it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. But her character is definitely fun she likes to poke she the is like complete she might she's like sean bateman level sociopath oh like, sure the yeah. stuff that she does in this is so evil to lauren lauren yeah that's the other thing that avery changed that i think is funny he decided to make lauren's roommate's name laura so it was right. laura and lauren i think in the book she's judy and she's certainly not factoring into nearly as much as she factors into in this oh, okay and <laughs> I don't know, just the shit that she does is so funny. Yeah. But yeah, we got a lot to get through, so let's just jump Please, into the yeah. actual <laughs> thing itself. So the opening of the movie, those dark purple opening credits with that iconic font that reminds me of the vintage paperbacks of all of Ellis's novels, or at least like the first few. Okay. Really well, cool font. What did you think of all of this... Uh that rewinding effect that's happening. Well, the first time I saw this movie, I hated it. Yeah. The f- that's what's funny. Like, I think it's cool at parts. I, I do think that it goes a little bit over the top. <laughs> the first time I saw this movie, I have to admit I was kind of disappointed. Well, I think I was like, 
what the fuck is this? Like, I, I definitely did not know what the movie was going to be like at all. And, you know, I was definitely thinking that it was something a little bit more upbeat college party movie or something. Right. Yeah, I think my thoughts were that the reversal stuff, the rewinding was annoying and I didn't get it. And I I was in that mindset of like, oh, I want everything to be exactly like the book or else I'm not going to like it. I definitely think that it was a movie that I saw that when it was over, I was like, wow. And like, didn't really think much of it. And then it wasn't until like years later that I thought back on it. And I was like, that movie was pretty cool. <laughs> it just, you know, yeah, it took a little time <laughs> to sink in. Yeah, I think once it came out on DVD and I rewatched it and some friends of mine watched it and they got into it and it kind of became more of a thing. But that initial theater screening, I was kind of like, uh, not thrilled with it. Right. Lauren starts out narrating and it's a story that might bore you, but you don't have to listen because I always knew it was going to be like that. It starts in medius res, which is like in the middle of a story. Ron and Fez used to do that all the time. The okay. show would start and Ron would be in the middle of saying something. Yeah, yeah. It, in medius res. That's how the novel starts. And every chapter in the novel, most are very short. Some are like a paragraph, some are like a page or two. It starts with somebody's name at the right. top. And that's the person telling it in first person. It's their thoughts. So they're speaking. But the first chapter doesn't start with a person's name because it starts in the middle. And I used to always think... Is this in the middle, though? It's at the e the end, isn't it? Well, the, the order of things doesn't match up necessarily with okay. the movie. Because she doesn't use people... Like, in the movie, she says Victor. But in the right. book, she doesn't say Victor. She just says she wanted to have sex with somebody else because she's not a virgin in the book. Yeah. Like okay. I said, they make her out to be way different in the movie. Right. So you don't actually, I never, that's the thing. I never really thought it was Lauren. I actually thought it was the girl that commits suicide. But oh, okay, yeah. upon rereading it, I don't think it is. Because her things are in italics. Gotcha. This was not in italics. But like, I don't know. They assign this to Lauren and it makes sense. And they kind of frame it to be her story. This will be the story of her losing her virginity at the end of the world party. Which actually takes place at the end of the movie. But we start at the end. And they actually filmed the end of the world party on 9-11. Wow. <laughs> Which is an unfortunate coincidence. Seriously, Another uh, tie-in to the 25th hour. <laughs> yeah, well, it was that time period. Yep. Almost immediately, as a viewer, you find yourself lost in a barrage of facts, most bordering on the absurd, allusions to times without proper reference points, people in places shrouded in mystery, specifics like college majors of people we don't know and will never meet i will say that a lot I, of things she's know, saying i do think that when i saw this movie i was like wow i never want to go to college <laughs> it seems like so scary and fucked up <laughs> and pretentious right. <laughs> yeah and i think they do a good job here of creating a beautiful blur of intoxicated campus life not that the movies that are are at all similar but there are shadows of this in the social network, which I also think did like a pretty good job of yeah. portraying a version of campus life. Now this is more like fucked up art people at an art school, but like the way that she's just like rattling off all of this information very quickly. And you're just kind of like, okay, there's a lot of information in this movie. <laughs> like when you actually run through the Victor sequence. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, like, 
man, how much dialogue is in this friggin' script? Yeah. Well, well, like yeah, counting but, all inner inner monologue and everything too. Yeah, the Victor stuff is like its own separate thing almost. But we'll get to that. Sure. So we're thrown right into the middle of it all. Lauren has her eye on Victor, played by Kip Pardue, the one she has pined for for so long. Well, this is weird. But it's her, I, I was re- taking it that it's her ex boyfriend. I feel like it's portrayed well, that way at times, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> is that just her? I think that's kind of the main idea of the whole story is that like the perceptions right are okay. off and people are living their own versions of things and yeah yeah assigning meaning to things or whatever okay but at so this point we we'll don't get there yeah we don't really know and she's just like she's concerned with losing her virginity but victor's fucking her roommate laura played by jessica beale and then in this delightful little aside lauren's narration informs us that after lauren leaves camden Laura got really drunk and went wandering through Wyndham House and did the whole football team. Yeah. And this is what a good sport. Yeah, this is said over a fantastic shot of Beale dancing down a hallway in a bra and boxer shorts holding like a bottle of booze in one hand and a bottle of beer in the other, approaching like three to five large, seemingly sure. much older looking guys. <laughs> All hilariously wearing their football jerseys for some reason. <laughs> I'm told that later after I left Camden, she got really drunk and went wandering through Wyndham House. And did the whole football team. She's now married to a senator and has four kids. Or she like struts into the dorm room itself, and then like the men, one of the guys like picks her up, and then the door shuts behind them. And this is like as Lauren's right. giving us that narration that she fucked the whole football team. Now, and I think Avery was really in love with this shot. He thought it turned out like really good. Wow, he was really patting himself on the back for this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, now Lauren, one of the disappointing things for me in this movie, never has it out with laura even no. though laura is consistently doing things that would be considered shitty by your roommate slash friend yeah their dynamic is very strange and never really explored because laura does seemingly sabotage lauren over intentionally and over and over. yeah it reminds me of other relationships that we've talked about on the podcast before although i'm drawing a blank as to what they were but where the one has such a I don't know, such a an issue with themselves that they have to constantly tear down this other person. By to, inserting you know I mean? themselves in it, yeah. It's like you would think that Jessica Biel, or well, Laura, would have all of this confidence and be on top of the world, but like she's got to like constantly tear down her roommate who is a virgin. <laughs> and by all accounts, a seemingly decent person, at least in the movie. But that all is in the future back to the moment at hand the film major this guy that she's talking to and she decides that she wants to lose her virginity to this guy that she just met at this party what were your thoughts on this guy i mean did you think that he was deserving i was like wow shannon sauceman i mean i guess that's the thing it's just like to just be in the right place at the right time i guess you know yeah Uh, yeah i was just like this schlub really lauren takes this guy back to some girl's room that's not even hers and then passes out and then the now, narr- this guy, I mean, this is a fucking bold move. 
Yeah, this is insane. So the narration tells us when I came to, he was already fucking me. She's basically being raped, but it turns out not by the she doesn't even know by who because it's not the guy she was talking to because he's filming it. And it's this other guy who's like this townie. Now, I guess this is all like, you know, kind of pre Duke lacrosse stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because you just you see this stuff on film. You're like, there's no way this isn't resulting in an arrest. I mean, there's a dude that filming this happening. I think that the idea, though, which is not one that you could necessarily present now, but I think the idea is that, like, she doesn't care because she's emotionless, just like Paul and right. Sean. Okay. And, like, this is just something that's happening. I will it's say It's not this- going to really affect her later because she's kind of a sociopath, too. I'm not saying that that makes this scene okay or that it makes an event like this okay. I get it. But in this context of this story, I think the idea is that, like, this doesn't really even mean anything to her at this point. Well, certainly her narration is, like, very uh, deadpan to it. Yeah. I will say it is very disturbing to watch where it goes with this townie and what happens with him throwing up on her. Yeah. It's disgusting. Then, like, people are oh, rolling the keg in. Right. Oh, it's just, like, so such humiliating. Such a horrible scene. Yeah, and it, the scene definitely makes you feel sympathy for Lauren, which is something that never really comes across at any point during the book you never have sympathy for anyone gotcha and she closes by saying i always knew it was going to be like this and then everything starts reversing yeah (laughs) and we've talked about that already but basically everything just rewinds all the way back downstairs to this party before any of it happens we pass sean briefly but next we're going to go to paul and paul and sean's little stories are much quicker than Lauren's. Lauren's sure. is like very right. long. Paul, he's trying to hook up with some dude who seems confused about his sexuality. It ends badly and Paul is thrown out of the room, yeah, assaulted, beat spat up. upon. Now I will say, Paul definitely, it seems like it's I mean, seems like a good looking dude, dresses well, seems like he'd probably do well with within the gay community. It does feel like he kind of likes to make it a point to go after straight dudes. Sure, yeah, he seems to have contempt for, like, his gay friends, that's for sure. Yeah. He's somewhat a predator. He's, like I said, maybe the next rung up from Lauren, who's, like, more the most sympathetic. Although you do feel bad for him at times. I mean, he gets beat up in this scene kind of (laughs) unnecessarily. And, you know, he has a rough go of it with Sean as well. Yeah, I think his bisexuality is more apparent in the book because I think this opening scene actually happens with a girl. Oh, okay. But then the rest of the time, he's pretty gay. Whereas this, they don't even really bother with that because it would convolute things further. So every once he's outside the guy's room and getting spit on, that starts reversing again. And now it's like, holy shit, yeah. is this going to be the whole movie? Because this is such a long opening of reversing. I was thinking to myself how much better my life would have been if I had this opportunity to like rewind things. Once I had just experienced something horrible and had the ability to choose a different path. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like we said, this all takes place at the end of our story. And we'll eventually work our way back to this end of the world party. However, based on really no reasoning, it does seem like the characters, once we actually get back to this, do not follow these paths right, necessarily. Right, exactly, yeah. And I'm not really sure why or how. Although I will, it that's one thing that's confusing about Lauren, and I mean, you know, obviously we've got a long way to go to get back to the end of the movie, but they show her walking off with the film dude again at the end of the movie, but it doesn't seem like 
any of this stuff. Yeah, with the... maybe it all happened pretty quick, and then what we see is like after it. Okay, I don't know. She seems. I, like... I really don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Hmm. As we often agree on this show, we just lead to a point where neither of us know. Well, I I think a lot in a lot of movies, there's moments of left to interpretation. Yeah, like. It's not really clear, so and it because it doesn't necessarily matter. True. Because if it didn't happen, similar events will probably happen the next night <laughs> to these people. Oh boy, yeah. So finally, we're with Sean Vanderbeek. His face is beat up. We don't really know why. His narration: pretend drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels. <laughs> pretend to be a vampire. Don't really need to pretend because that's who I am—an emotional vampire. Which is fitting because he's essentially the full-blown predator yeah turns his emotions off now it seems like the uh avery wanted to do the stanley kubrick thing a little bit with james vanderbeek a few times in this movie kind of does the thing where he lowers his head and like his eyes are up Mm -hmm. you know that jack nicholson always did in the shining yeah i was wondering i could not really find anything online about this and i don't know if it really makes any sense but i noticed that lauren and her little thing was wearing like a just the number seven on her coat. Okay. And then when Paul goes into that guy's room, that guy has like a like a shirt jersey. The number is like seventy two. All right. So there's so a seven. something with numbers maybe. And on the bottle of Jack Daniels, there's a seven as well. And I'm like, well, what does seven have to do with all this? Okay. <laughs> that could be something. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. I don't really know if what it means. Somebody wants to build a theory around there. Yeah. I mean, we now have the groundwork for it. We're going to do our own documentary, Room 237 <laughs> style, about rules of attraction <laughs> and all of our different theories. By the way, I do love like no real special features on this Blu-ray, except they have a a commentary by Carrot Top. Yeah, who had never seen the movie before okay. doing it. Okay, wow. And I think Roger Avery thought of it as like almost like a an art piece or something to have Carrot Top do the... Okay. There's a commentary with people that are in it, though, too. Yeah, yeah. Sean approaches Kate Bosworth's character. I'm not really sure if she had a name. I don't know. Just hot blonde chick. Yeah, this was like pre-everything for Bosworth, I believe. Yeah. I don't really think people were that familiar with her at this time. Kate Bosworth, I mean, I feel like a super famous name, but I mean... Does anyone really know what she's in ever? Yeah, not anything great, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> she was in like the Straw Dogs remake. And, uh, oh, okay. She, I think she was in that card counting movie, right? Rounders? No, oh, no. like 21 yeah, or yeah. whatever. Maybe she is, I don't know. Maybe that Superman movie? She, yeah, she was in the Superman movie. Right. With Brandon Routh or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the one that everyone loves <laughs> right. so much. He's like, I think I fucked her earlier that term, but he's not sure. Again, I'm like, this is a fantasy movie at this point. <laughs> you don't remember <laughs> this girl? Well, I think the idea is that he's fucked a lot of girls. Yeah, good for him. But yeah, I mean, Kate Bosworth, it does seem is like too hot for this. Just like, just you're just like, this is insane. Right. <laughs> this is some college. <laughs> he tells her his name is Peter and that he's a freshman. Neither of these things are true. She just kind of, I don't think she believes either of these things but she goes along with it she's drunk and ditzy not sure of herself and then he runs through his potential options for the night including like i mentioned the dumb guy from la who's supposed to be clay that's the only time we see him great numb feeling washes over me and i let go of the past and look forward to the future pretend to be a vampire 
I don't really need to pretend because it's who I am. An emotional vampire. I just come to expect it. Vampires are real. That I was born this way. That I feed off of other people's real emotions. Search for this night's prey. Who will it be? Fucked you somewhere towards the beginning of term. The wet Wednesday party. No. What's your name? Peter. Really? Aren't you a senior? No, freshman. Really? I thought you were older. No, freshman. Peter. Peter the freshman. She has dick sucking lips, so I consider the options. Leave right now, go back to my room, play the guitar, masturbate to broadband speed internet porn. Come on, those tits, huh? Yeah. Go to sleep. Or, I could play quarters with Dickie and Quinn living and the dumb guy from LA. Or I could take her to the carousel for some coffee and ditch her there with the bill. Take her back to my room, hope the frog is gone, get stoned and fuck her. So what do you think? What do I think? I think why not? Rock and roll. I do like that one of his potential options that he runs through is take her to the carousel for some coffee and ditch her with the bill. Yeah. Like, why would that even be? That's so random and funny. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and it's some horrible thing to leave her with like a three dollar bill. <laughs> but just like I guess, yeah. Just why to be would you mean? even do that? Yeah. <laughs> so he takes her back to his room. He plays guitar for her, including like his own song, segueing oh, into Counting no. Crows, and she starts to cry. Sad. This is funny because this in the book, this whole sequence happens, but it's much later, and it's with Lauren. Oh, okay. Like pretty much everything about this, but in the movie, they never. Are together and they never right, have right. sex so it's well i don't really get different. the way this scene ends with them having sex like his narration of that and he talks about being sober yeah when he's clearly drinking a shitload of whiskey right before this <laughs> it's not enough for yeah. him i guess but i found it interesting that during that sex scene between sean and kate bosworth here that his narration slides into third person okay right. and he just starts saying he did this yeah. and he and I was like, that's interesting because of what we are to like guess about what happens with Sean later, especially with Paul, and especially more so in the book. But the movie tries to make it a point, too. And like you brought up with Lauren and Victor, it's like these people all seem to like disassociate at some point yeah. and are living some other fantasy rather than what's actually going on in their lives. Right. And they're all guilty of it so that you can never be sure of who's telling the truth. The weird thing is like... In Lauren and Sean's, like, actual couple of interactions that seem, like, normal, they both kind of seem like normal people in those scenes. But that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, and it's also interesting, too, that there's barely any. Right. And then, <laughs> But at the end of it, you do almost buy into this, like, idea of, like, him being in love with her. And, like, there's this 
this relationship occur? And you're like, well, no, I mean, it really didn't. Well, listen, <laughs> I mean, I get it. You know, there's certainly been times in my life with like one or, you know, barely one interaction. And I was like, you know what? I'm in love. <laughs> Especially the girls that work at gas stations. <laughs> So finally, the rest of the opening credits, we start back at the beginning. It's a few months earlier. It opens with the cafeteria girl, and that's what I'm going to call her from now on. I think she might be called food service girl in the credits. I'm going with cafeteria girl. Watching this film now, it's striking how often you notice her. Sure. They, Whereas, do, they show her in like the opening credits too, right? You mean the, uh, what, what do you mean? Like whenever they credits? show random people in the courtyard of the college. Yeah, I think so. She's in it a lot once you recognize her but on your first viewing she just sort of blends into the background you're not really paying any attention to her which i mean right. is the point and obviously. yeah by the way is very relatable <laughs> just blending into the background and no one paying attention to you so sean is getting these purple notes in his mailbox from a secret admirer they are semi-sexually explicit but mostly just general yearning and kind of almost almost innocent in their like right sex you know what I mean? Like they're oh, saying sexual sure. things, but you can kind of tell it's somebody that doesn't really, yeah, know it, what it they're saying. It seems like I mean, it just feels like a a crush, like a heavy crush. <laughs> but of course, he's like over the moon about this, and this kind of for some fit, reason. Well, this fits in with that yeah. idea of like projecting whatever you want. Right. So he takes these notes and he starts projecting whatever he wants onto that. He doesn't really think it through. Yeah, yeah. As to what this probably means. By the way, his interaction with the cafeteria girl, I mean, what's the deal there? She gives him more eggs and then he throws it all in the trash? I guess. I, <laughs> I wasn't really sure. Well, I, guess, I, I took it to be that he just, the food was disgusting looking, so he just threw it away. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and she just kind of like doesn't know what to do. Right. <laughs> so Sean goes to see Rupert, played by Clifton Collins Jr from the stone age fame local <laughs> for those of you who have seen the stone age <laughs> which i'm sure is a lot and considerably less than have seen this movie <laughs> i always like this guy because he's he seems so crazy and this is like his most craziest character yeah this kind of feels like something out of boogie nights oh yeah you know there are scenes like this in the book but they made them more boogie nights okay and obviously the book predates Boogie Nights, but they kind of added a li- just a little bit of the craziness to it. What's going on? You're going to have to sell that bike of yours. That's what's going on. Why? Where's my money, college boy? You take American Express? <laughs> That's not funny. <clears throat> you like that? They taught it to him in the army. One of 17 hand-to-hand combat methods of rendering your enemy defenseless. Now, all I gotta do is apply positive pressure to rip your carpals free from your metacarpals, and you will be unable to operate your weapon. I'm not your enemy, Rupert. I don't have a weapon. And that's why you get a little time, Holmes. You want some coke? <clears throat> sure. Then buy some of your own, bitch. Get the fuck out of my crib and get me my money. It's an orgy night at Booth House. 
Score for a bunch of freshmen. They're rich, they want cocaine, they pay a premium to get it. What do you think? I think you're a rich motherfucking motherfucker who owes me a fucking shitload of motherfucking cash. That's what I think, you rich motherfucking motherfucker. You want some blow, motherfucker? You bring me my motherfucking cash, motherfucker. Fuck you. Jesus fucking Christ, Rupert. Don't get so tense. I show you tense, motherfucker. You're into me for a fuckload of money. And I think you and your motherfucking rich kid friends are gonna take off to all your rich ass motherfucking lives, leaving me holding my motherfucking dick. So fuck you. Fucking Rupert, fucking A, man. I'm not like those rich assholes, dude. I'm on financial aid, man. I have to work for a living. I'm from a fucking farm in Nebraska, for Christ's sakes. My family had to sell the fucking cow to get me here, man. I'm working in food service. Bullshit! Fuck, my father's in the hospital, okay? I. My family's strapped for cash. I might have to drop out. Really? The Lord is my witness, yes. You really don't have any fucking cash. No, I had to work all summer just to pay for this term. I thought you went home to New York for the summer. That's what I told people so they wouldn't laugh at me. I actually had to wash pigs all summer, Rupert. Jesus Christ, man. I can get these kids to overpay. They're so desperate for drugs. I'm your key to moving this shit on campus, man. You need me. And you know it. And I need the cash. We need each other. You get this straight, fuckhead. I need you like I need a motherfucking asshole on my elbow. Right here. An asshole. That's how much I need you. So Sean, I guess this is where we're getting all of this, that he's a drug dealer. I don't know. I mean, I guess, is he a drug dealer or does, is he just someone who gets drugs for people? I think he's supposed to be a drug dealer, although I don't really know like how serious it is. It doesn't seem like business is flowing appropriately. No, and again, this all fits in with this idea of like living these fake lives, projecting these things, because everything he tells Rupert and tells a lot of people is just not true. Right. For whatever reason, he's pretending this whole time that like he doesn't have any money and that he's like this poor farm yeah, yeah. person. Like, I don't know why he does this. It never is clear. Well, it just feels like he's always like just sort of push. It's all just like a game to him. Yeah. I love like the muted TVs here because there's a muted TV in this scene that the crack addict girl is watching. Right. I like how she just like is drinking a beer, shakes it to see that it's empty, and then just drops it on the floor. But then like in the next scene with Fred Savage, there's a muted TV with like the same thing on, right? Some like old vampire movie or something. It, it is so weird to get a gauge of Sean though and what he's thinking with this shit. It feels like a pretty serious situation that he's walking into. But yeah, I mean, I think he's just like escalating things in his life just for entertainment's sake because he's doesn't feel anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a coked out, insane performance from Clifton Collins Jr. This is where we find out he owes money to Rupert. I think in the book it's only like five hundred bucks or something like that, but they had to up it for the movie because it's two thousand and two, so they made it like three thousand or something like that. The next scene is Sean going to f see Mark, played by Fred Savage. This is a hilarious scene. <laughs> right. Mark owes Sean like 500 bucks. 
sometimes a, a minute will last like an hour, you know, or other times an hour just just zips by like a minute. It's all it's all subjective. And every every person you know perceives it perceives it different. It's like that's why you can't trust clocks, you know. Mark, you owe me five hundred bucks. I want it by Sunday. Okay? You, you notice I don't have any clocks in my room because they they inter they interfere with your ability to um to adjust the time to 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 suit your needs, you know. Mark, do not be a slave to time, my friend, <clears throat> because it uh there's no point. I can feel my dick. Oh. oh my god. Oh. 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 Hey. Fucking hey. What about the cash? Mark, what about the fucking cash? What class? Man, who, who teaches that? Fucking. Just go away, you know? Just stop bugging me. Just stop asking me. Stop kicking my fucking bed. Stop, you know, ooh. I'll get you your fuck. Just don't fuck my karma, dude. Don't fuck it up. Fred Savage is really funny in this, but I think like Vanderbeek shines in this scene. Like his reaction to what Mark is doing is so funny to me. <laughs> Just getting so mad. Yeah. I mean, he leaves this with no resolution, right? Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> Fred Savage is literally shooting heroin between his toes. Oh, it's like, yeah, what are yeah. you gonna What are you gonna do at that point? Right. The first party in real time, other than. The end of the world, which, you know, was the flash forward. The edge of the world party. It's kind of like this weird... Burning Man. Burning Man type situation where they light this thing. There's, like, no supervision at this college no, no. whatsoever. It's so out of control. Well, yeah, there's only... I mean, Eric Stoltz is, like, the only adult presence. And he's fucking all the girls right. that he can. Well, or whatever he's yeah. doing. This is another one of those things that I'm watching it now thinking, like... I mean, is this anyone's college experience? This seems insane. These I do think like having. you could make this seem more believable in the '80s at a small liberal art school in the middle of the woods, okay. like out in Vermont. Yeah. Like now, in like an era of all these kids growing up with like helicopter parents, right. and, like you know the whole thing of like everything's 
PC and so supervised and control. It's like, yeah, this doesn't really ring true at all. Right. But I could see a version of the 80s where something like this could maybe kind of exist. Maybe not to the extremes, but a version of it. Yeah. I think everything at the edge of the world here furthers this idea of the movie being about perceptions and questions of reality and the interpretations of events and how those things can differ among the people that are experiencing them. Sure. Like everyone has their own version of it. So we see Paul and his big thing here is like this switching on off of a persona. Like you can kind of see him actually do it as he's like standing there by himself and then he approaches Mitch. That's what I don't get. I mean, he's kind of acts like such a confident douchebag and then he'll like switch to just like this desperate puppy dog to hang out with Sean. Yeah, well, that's what's weird. I think he, like, falls in love with Sean inexplicably. But right. they have, like, two differing versions of what's going on there, obviously. Yep. So Mitch is played by Thomas Ian Nichols. He's got, like, this one chick with him, Candace. Candace clearly wants to fuck Mitch and Paul. Yeah. Mitch is and having something none went of down it. with Paul and Mitch before, it feels yeah. like, right? Yeah, and, I mean, that's much clearer in the book. But, yeah, they... It seems like Paul's been able to like snag like a few guys who maybe were a little unsure of their sexuality yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now are like Paul's you know, very freaking convincing. out about yeah. it. <laughs> Paul's just like, why don't you pop that shirt off? <laughs> Stoltz just weaving in and out of the scene as a professor. Always making his presence felt. Two you chicks know. on his arms, <laughs> living the fucking dream. <laughs> I was like, God, how great would that be? Yeah. Just be that guy. <laughs> so this is our first encounter now between Sean and Paul, and the misinterpretations of things just as simple as things that they're saying. And there's kind of double entendre too, because Sean says something about a case of beer, which leads Paul to say quesadilla, and then he's like asking him out for Mexican food, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't know about that." Yeah. And then Paul's like, "I'll totally buy," and he's like, "You'll buy," and Paul says totally buy which right. i mean come on <laughs> it's like what is he saying but the other there? thing i mean sean is so disengaged in this yeah it's the one i mean it's the one thing that he's seemingly disengaged in i mean you know like we said he doesn't seem like he has feelings for anything but it feels like his mind is always like running like coming up with angles for things that he is involved in but this he's just like completely oblivious yeah the relationship between sean and paul is way different in the book but also well, not way different, but way more developed. Like, it goes way farther and is way longer. Just like everything. Right. But you're never really clear on what Sean is doing spending time with Paul at all. Because it's really interesting. In the book, it's like Paul... It, in the Paul chapters, he's basically like, yeah, I, I met this new guy, Sean, and now we're, like, having sex, and this is insane, and I'm, like, in love with this guy. And then in the Sean chapters, Paul's, like, not even mentioned. <laughs> He's just, like, talking about Lauren the whole wow. time. Wow, yeah. And you're just like, well, what is r- real here? So they they can't go that far with it. I mean, I think in 2002, we weren't. they probably weren't at a place where they really wanted to, like, take it to that extreme. So it never really goes that far. It also would have been super confusing. I think Avery came up with, like, a great way to make this all make sense in a movie because this is, like, it's stuff that, like, is so mental that, like, to present it, as actions happening on screen, I'm not sure you could really make sense of it. They make these vague plans for Mexican food, but it's like Sean doesn't even really seem to know 
how are we, yeah, was just be like, how are we even going to run into each other again? <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, we have an encounter between Sean and Lauren at a Saturday morning class, of all things, that I think Stoltz that is Sean is shockingly teaching. attending. I Why would he ever even sign up for this class? I don't know. Yeah. But Stoltz isn't there, and no one else is showing up. And then th- we get this long split-screen thing that eventually leads to their face-to-face meeting. Yeah, this this part is done kind of cool. Yeah. Because you're not really sure where this is going. It's like they wake up separately, and you're seeing them do their different things. And Lauren gets there early. Sean is, like, taking a shit, and it's, like, taking forever. But he eventually <laughs> gets there. And it leads to this face-to-face meeting. Lauren laughs easily. She's kind of a lunatic. But the way that she bites her bottom lip is sexy. Yeah, there's I a lot of think, cuteness going on. Yeah, and I, it feels like there's some kind of chemistry between the two of them in this moment. For sure. And I think that just like with Paul, there's a certain familiarity despite not really being formally introduced. Because I think the idea is that Camden is pretty small and everyone yeah, yeah. kind of knows who everyone is. Hi. Hey, are you here for that class? Yeah, the uh, tutorial on the postmodern condition. Yeah. And it was canceled. Typical. Never seen you there before. That's what's so typical. It's the first time I never bothered to show up for it. Yeah, you've got bad timing. Saturday suck ass. I don't have to put up with this shit. I'm dropping sweat. <laughs> yeah, me too. Really? Mm hmm. I think I'm going to change my major. To what? I don't know yet. What's yours? I don't even know. (laughs) (sighs) Your name's Sean Bateman, right? Right. Your name is Lauren. Yeah. I bought pot from you last year. It was good. A little seedy, though. Used to go out with that Paul Denton dude, right? Yeah. Before. Almost immediately, for, for whatever reason, I think, well... I know, I do know I, what I think the reason is, but almost immediately Sean believes the love notes in the box are coming from Lauren. I think what they're going for is that the notes smell like Lauren's perfume. Okay. Because he keeps smelling the letter, especially after she walks away. There's definitely a lot of mentions of Lauren's smell in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Victor at one point, you know, I don't know who you are, but you smell incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that that's what they're trying to go for, that Sean is connecting the smell of the letters to the smell of her, like the perfume or something. Okay. The idea being that sometimes you spray perfume on like a love letter, I guess. You do that? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Because logically, I can't really come up with another reason as to why him meeting her face to face, he immediately thinks like, yeah, this is the person that's sending me notes. I don't know. I guess it's just the flirtation and, you know, he wants it to be her. Yeah, which is a big part of it. I mean, he wants it to be her, so he's projecting these ideas in the notes onto her. So we can see where this is going. The vague outline of a misguided love triangle between our three main characters. Right. Paul thinks he has a date with Sean at seven, but he's dragged into this suicide attempt drama with some friends of his that he clearly despises. <laughs> Not interested in. He's making sarcastic comments the whole time. They're getting mad. Freshman can't OD, that kind of thing. And they go to this like very unhelpful hospital with a psychotic doctor who's telling them that their friend Jay Baruchel is dead, even though he's awake, basically, <laughs> and talking. 
I never really understood what the scene is. It is bizarre. It's in the book too. Okay. Oddly enough, it seems like something that wouldn't be because it seems like so goofy. Yeah, it 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 is jarring. It feels but out of the, place. In the context of the book, since you don't see it, you can kind of believe that like maybe it's not really a doctor, or maybe it's somebody fucking with them, or you know what I mean? Because you can kind of yeah. think up whatever. In it your kind mind. of feels like out of horns or something. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> that's yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> so they take this guy back, but ultimately Paul thinks that he's blown off this date with Sean that Sean doesn't really even know about. I right. guess. Very brief free Friday night scene with Lauren and Laura, and Lauren uses this STD book as like the ultimate deterrent to going out. I do enjoy this about her character. Yeah, and they play this up even more in this movie because she's a virgin. Right. So she's never had sex at all. Yeah. And the idea is that she's saving herself for Victor, who at this point is in Europe. And it's like, look at this book. This is what happens when you think you have a good time. Laura is clearly an idiot. She's talking about, like, if the guy wears two condoms, it'll be 196% safe. <laughs> but then she does this handstand, and you're just like, Jesus Christ. Well, like, yeah. off the charts. <laughs> like, holy fuck. At the actual party itself, Laura immediately kind of goes after Sean. And you're right. just like, Jesus Christ, the Laura. The first of many instances of this behavior but she doesn't know that lauren is eventually going to show up at the party so paul approaches sean as well apologizing for being late because of the trip to the hospital clearly sean now, has wait, no which, idea what he's talking about which party is this i think this is just i don't think this has a name okay it's just a party this isn't like the party to get laid or whatever no because paul's not at that okay but, i have some thoughts on that party when we get to it <laughs> yeah well i think we all do okay <laughs> So Sean doesn't know what Paul's talking about, but he agrees to go off with him when Paul mentions that he's got some pot back in his room. It's kind of a recurring thing in this movie that people have drugs back in their room. And it's almost kind of like code for like, let's go have sex in my room. Yet somehow Sean is not picking up on that. Right. Or maybe he is. It's like, well, that's what we don't really ever know about Sean is like what he's thinking about certain aspects especially yeah, when mean, it comes to paul i do think the scene at the end with the two of them it feels like he's sort of revealing that he has been getting it all along when he says like you know i wish you wouldn't say these things to me yeah but he's not addressing it lauren finally does show up the book is just not getting it done for her <laughs> and she's surprised that sean has left with paul paul denton and something that's not super clear in the movie, maybe not until like the very end when Paul and Lauren interact, is like they have a history. They dated, right? Yeah. Because Paul, I think, is supposed to be bi, although, I mean, it seems like he's mostly gay. Yeah, mostly gay. Because I think it's like that's why they weren't together anymore. Sure. That kind of thing. And maybe why she's still a virgin. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't really want to address that, I guess, because... They wanted her to be a virgin in the movie, so. But her old friend Stolze is around. That's right. Always he, lingering in the background. Always waiting to swoop in. So him and Lauren end up back at his office on a couch. And this scene is so strange. Sure. It plays strange now, well, yeah, especially. But is, even then, I was like, she's just wanting to like do this? This is It is that like authority figure using their power, that sort of feel. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not disputing that it's the morality of it. Of oh, okay, course, right. that's fucked up. Yeah. But like, 
She is like into it though. Sure. And she's like Well, she was she's kind of on this mission throughout the movie, right? I guess, but she was just like prepared to give up on Victor and Sean and just be like, "Yeah, I'm going to fuck this teacher now." That's the way that it plays. <laughs> but he doesn't want to fuck her because he could lose his job and he's married. <laughs> but and she's like, "Well, then aren't you hitting one on me?" And he's like, "Well, I want a Hummer though." <laughs> what a way of phrasing it, which shockingly she goes for. Yeah. Really an intense scene. <laughs> I really feel like Eric Stoltz kind of makes out best in this whole movie. As he always does. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. <laughs> Except Back to the Future. Right. <laughs> Lauren may be significantly more human than she's portrayed in the novel, but it's clear that she's still living her life with a certain amount of questionable impatient recklessness. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like, wow. This was she not does well do crazy thought out. Shit. Yeah. And it almost feels like she's doing this at somebody, whether it's Sean or Victor. You know what I mean? You don't feel that way at all? Mm. Kind of like, well, they weren't here, so whatever I don't know. guy. Maybe Victor. I don't, I don't really know. That's the thing. Like You immediately start overestimating what's happened between Sean and Lauren, but it's like nothing has ever happened. True. They barely have talked But to it does other. feel like she was expecting him to be there. Right. Cut to Sean and Paul back in Paul's room, smoking pot. Paul's fantasy, separation of projection and reality here where we see him like on one side of a split screen actually start making out with Sean and then the other side is just him like watching Sean and like masturbating under a pillow. Oh boy. And the main difference here with the novel is like this is way more played out. This happens over like the course of many days. And it definitely seems like, at least from what we're learning from Paul, that some sort of a sexual relationship goes on. But we never are really clear on it because Sean never talks about it. And it's, it seems crazy from that perspective. Right. I think there's like similarities between Sean and his brother Patrick because the whole novel of American Psycho is like, you're not really sure oh. if anything is real. In fact, so, many things feel not real. Yeah, this whole, like, separation of, like, reality and some sort of other delusional world right, kind of matches between the two of them. Sort of aimlessly doing things and then kind of it really not resonating <laughs> that you're doing things or, like, I guess just being able to move on. Yeah, and uh, the one thing is with American Psycho, it's like, well, it stays as one person, one unreliable narrator telling you. But in Rules of Attraction, the idea is like, well... You're trying to find out about something that happened, and you have an unreliable narrator, so you go turn to this other person. But what if the other person is equally unreliable? <laughs> so you're not really sure what the truth is. Yeah. The reality in the movie, though, seems to be that nothing actually happens between Paul and Sean physically, and Paul just masturbates here. A lot of masturbating in this movie, which is kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I always love a lot of masturbating Yeah, in I guess, movies. you know, it just feels like slice of life. <laughs> Paul gets a call from his mother the next morning. He has to go into the city to see his mother and family friends, the Jareds. And this is kind of a weird offshoot, but kind of a fun sequence. Yeah. Paul's departure from campus just so happens to coincide with the dress to get screwed party, which you referenced earlier. Yeah. So Paul's worried about leaving Sean alone for a party where everyone is out to have sex. Right. And Sean, Especially, meanwhile, is still <laughs> fantasizing about Lauren because he's assuming these love notes are from her. Yeah. 
So that's where we're at as Paul is like leaving the campus. Now, if we talk about this party for a second. We're not at the party yet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll get to it. First, though, Lauren and Laura are like, I guess, snorting coke. Doing coke, Yeah, and like. This is very like Boogie Nights. This is like that scene with Heather Graham and Julianne Moore when they're talking about how Julianne Moore is going to be your mom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That would be great if Jessica Biel was telling (laughs) Shannon Sossman that she was going to be her mom. Yeah, it always like, because I guess because Jessica Biel is like so beautiful (laughs) and like so hot and everything it's just like it always like grossed me out like so much that she had like the bloody nose like the rusty pipes thing yeah yeah. i was just like oh it really just hurt me in a real deep way right just didn't like it yeah i get that (laughs) so then cut to sean smelling the love notes while jacking off as afternoon delight plays i believe a lot of good music in this this might have been my first time really uh, appreciating that song afternoon delight should um yeah well <laughs> with good reason when you see the scene that it's paired to <laughs> also you know six different ways by the cure in this movie yeah that's like the one of the opening songs paul calls from the city and talks to sean but sean has no clue who he is and thinks it might be patrick his brother and this is the only reference that makes it into the movie yes about patrick but paul thinks that this is like another guy that sean is interested in or something and is upset i do like how this movie takes place in 2002 it was the dawn of everyone having a cell phone yet cell phones are like non-existent in the movie yeah and not only are they non-existent like people don't even have phones in their rooms true there's like a pay phone in the dorm and then you have to like go get the person to talk which is a weird practice i just feel like i never would have done that oh yeah i never would have picked up a ringing pay phone <laughs> Yeah, the whole premise is kind of strange. It's it's torn between wanting to be of the moment of 2002, but also being based on a novel that takes place in the fall of 1985. Yes. So it's like combining the aesthetic of both of these things in a weird way. Now, who is Paul's friend here from the past that they... Uh... Dick? Yeah. Richard? <laughs> Dick's a fun guy. So Richard, Mrs. Jared, and Paul's mother show up in the hotel. Now I'm going to ask you one more time, Richard. Kindly remove your sunglasses. Very well, then. Why don't you tell us about school? Mm. Tell us about school. (laughs) Oh, don't smoke. My name is not Richard. Oh, well, th- then what is it? Dick. What? Dick. You heard me. Dick. No, your name is Richard. Sorry, it's Dick. <sighs> <laughs> Dick. How is school? It sucks, Carl. (laughs) 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 And what classes are you taking, Dick? Gang Bang 101, Free Base Tutorial, and Oral Sex Workshop. 
<laughs> well, then how are you liking that, Vic? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you like that? <laughs> what has happened to you? What do you mean, what has happened to me? What do you think? I can see what that school has done to you. You know, maybe perhaps Paul and I should go no. upstairs. No. And... no, no, no. Anyone's going to leave this table, it's going to be Richard. It's Dick! All right, leave the table now, Richard. Why? 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 I'm asking you to leave the table now. No, 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 no. I will not leave the table, no. Whoa! Leave the table. Well, fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you, pretty boy, and fuck you all very much. Oh, I'm out of here. Have a good one. I've always found the purpose of this hotel stay to be unclear in the movie. Uh, right. The book, there's like a little bit more of a reason for it, where like. Paul's mother wants to talk to Paul about getting a divorce from his father and everything. That never comes up in this. There's never okay. any reason why they, they're all staying at this hotel in the city. But whatever. It's fine. Richard, we can buy it. a.k.a. Dick, and Paul have this history. They both happen to be kind of gay. Yeah. Or bi. I'm not really sure. And led to this little montage of them dancing on the beds with faith playing i think this was something they just came up with in the moment and the song rights to faith were like so much and they weren't going to be able to afford it so roger avery just like reached out directly to george michael who just like let them use it for free oh wow that's nice and there's like a real casualness to the gayness in this scene in this movie that was like still kind of shocking and new i think in 2002 and I was reading through IMDb trivia, as I am wont to do when we do one of these movies on here. True. And the test screening did not go well. They did it in the highly conservative county of Orange County in California. Oh, wow. And people were like, this is a fag movie and Southern stuff Californians like that. Southern Californians, not... Uh, well, not Orange County is yeah. like really a conservative county. Gotcha. A lot of old money, you know, rich white people. I'm picking it up. I gotcha. <laughs> So they weren't feeling it, and, you know, Lionsgate didn't really ever back down from their idea of wanting to market this as just, like, a teen movie, <laughs> even though it's, like, not going to really appeal to the same people that, like, Bring It On. I'm thinking not. <laughs> Although, I like Bring It On and same. this, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, the normal people. Okay. <laughs> so the Dress to Get Screwed party, let's talk about it. Lingerie, I was underwear, thinking, um... completely naked, some people. <laughs> Full frontal nudity going Just on. nude chicks. I mean, huge racks. On Some display. of them, yeah. You're like, what is going on? Also, it crossed my mind watching this. Like, I mean, I don't really recall, like, young women in college having, like, so many pairs of lingerie. <laughs> like, Lauren yeah. has, like, multiple scenes where she's wearing... Or not Lauren, Laura. Has, yeah, like, multiple... Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I mean... She's wearing stuff, like, straight out of, like, Victoria's Secret catalogs right. and stuff. And, and like, it's like, you know, you don't have a ton of closed storage space in a dorm room. The type of things that, yeah, like, you imagine, like, I don't know, like a 36-year-old woman having. Right. Not, like, 
a 19 year old in college in not quite the size of like because when you're jessica beal i mean you don't really need to dress it up no i mean it's just like it is what it is and it's more than but imagine you're like a 20 year old (laughs) dude and you show up to a party like this I mean, I just wouldn't be able, I'd be yeah, like, well, yeah, I need to go would. outside and smoke a cigarette. This is, I, but, I can't be here. It's very, like, eyes wide shut, except, like, on a college campus without any, like, rules or, like, weird structure to it. It's right. just, like, it an orgy. It definitely seems like a recipe for disaster. There's a brief shot of the cafeteria girl crying against the wall, and this was supposed to be the big night, and we'll come back to her in a minute, but this plays in with the notes, and we've been told, like, oh... Whoever's been writing these notes, this is the big night that they're going to go after Sean. Yeah. And so everyone's kind of anticipating that. Well, not everyone, but Sean and whoever is writing the notes. You commented on it already, but I have to say I am mostly disappointed in Beale's getup here when you compare it to what some of the other people are wearing. Well, sure, but I mean, I kind of wanted her to really go for it What were you going to get? I mean, come on. (laughs) There are two insanely hot, completely naked chicks dancing with that fat dude in the background, <laughs> which is just insane. Right. Who is that guy? The luckiest dude just on some campus. fat schlub. Yeah. <laughs> and that has to be like an intentional funny thing that they're like just doing that to be funny. I guess so, yeah. I don't know. Laura tells Sean that Lauren has a boyfriend and won't put out and is out of town. <laughs> Because Laura is a true sociopath yeah, and doesn't give a really shit a about her friend. Not a great friend to Lauren. Laura feels more like the characters from the book than Lauren, who almost seems out of place. Yeah, yeah. It feels like Lauren would have learned some lessons about Laura by this point, but I guess... Not that we yeah. see in the movie, but I'm thinking this can't be the first instance. Probably not. Well, especially since uh, uh, several major things happen in quick succession. Sure. So Sean, who is an idiot, I guess, and unable to control himself, he ends up fucking Laura instead. <laughs> I mean, come on. And his own actions seem to You're getting the full-court press from Jessica Biel I know. That's in that like, outfit. Well, I that's mean, what I mean what, when I say like they cast like people that are too hot in these parts in movies, and you're just like, well, it's Jessica Biel. It's I like, mean, that's well, the thing. It's just like, you know what? What do I really owe Lauren? Yeah. I mean, you'd just be like... Well, you win some, you lose some. I'll take this. I'll take this win. Well, that's certainly what's strange about the movie is I never really question it. Even though when you break it down, it's like, well, he's never really even talked to Lauren. So, like, why does he owe her anything? And you know, what difference does this make? And yet, in the movie, I never really question it. It's kind of like, yeah, he's betraying something already. The big thing with Laura, though, is in the movie, he definitely like you know. This doesn't feel like a big win for him. Like, it doesn't really matter. No, like I said, I mean, his own actions seem to enrage him almost. Like, he's not thrilled about doing this, but does it. While he's fucking her, you can see a picture of Cafeteria Girl with Lauren on the wall, which is a weird little Easter egg in the movie, because it doesn't really make sense. No. Because, like I said, they were both in that band together, and they were friends in real life. But there's never really any indication that they're friends in the movie, especially when yeah, Lauren when pulls her out of the tub later. Major happens. Yeah, but it's kind of this weird little Easter egg there. Afterwards, Sean is like, what's wrong? I told you I came because Laura is cr- like kind of crying, and she says, I was born in a Holiday Inn, <laughs> 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 which is so funny to me. 
I don't know why. It's just like it's so out of the blue, and you're like, it's a great yeah, that's line. weird and kind of traumatic. But what does that even imply? Like, I'm not sure what that is implying. I guess it's just something that always comes up for her afterwards. You know, like was her mother like a prostitute? I don't know. <laughs> so the last letter is delivered to Sean's box in the shared bathroom of a dorm. This is insane to me. This bathtub existing in a I actually had a dorm that had bathtubs in the bathroom, and there was, like, no, like, walls or anything. Are you serious? Yeah. A lot of dudes taking baths? No, no one ever used them. (laughs) But, like, I think it was because the building used to be, like, a nursing building or something. And used to be all women, probably, or something. And I'm just not really buying, like, a bunch of... (laughs) 20 year old women taking baths well it might be just like shave their legs and stuff okay yeah (laughs) what Uh, yeah i mean (laughs) when i was like 20 years old i just like get completely nude (laughs) standing there waiting for the tub to fill up (laughs) guys are coming in and taking like disgusting shits (laughs) and i'm just getting into the bathtub (laughs) reading Put your robe on afterwards. <laughs> hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> oh boy. So a voice narrates the final letter to Sean, one of heartbreak, betrayal, and finally acceptance. Without you by Harry Nielsen plays on the soundtrack. Preparations are made. A bathtub is filled with water as jewelry, candles, and a single razor blade is laid out on the edge of the tub. Yeah, this part's pretty disgusting. A girl removes her clothing and steps into the water. We finally see her face. We realize she looks familiar, but maybe we're not sure why yet. It's not until the flashbacks in a few moments that everything will click into place. She cuts her wrists underwater in a scene now 17 or so years old that is still very difficult to watch. Yeah. The room spins, the music swirls, her face is twisted in pain. Finally, an overhead shot of a dark crimson tub, and the girl is dead. <laughs> so there you go. And you're just like, whoa. That's the end of the cafeteria, girl. This movie was definitely not like upbeat, but you're like, wow, this is pretty shocking. Yeah, this is a downer now. So then Lauren is like returning to her dorm room. I love that Fruitopia machine that she passes. I was like, I need that for my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Who remembers Fruitopia? Oh, I do. I remember it well. She opens the door to find Sean like pulling his pants up, and Laura is like laying there. She seems to be like asleep. And Sean's like, I only did it with her because I'm in love with you. <laughs> One of the great lines Caught in ever. The act, yes. <laughs> so she runs out of the room and flees to the bathroom. Yeah, this is kind of a a tough sequence for Lauren. (laughs) Yeah. At first, she's just, like, standing on the other side of the door, like, crying. But, like, you can kind of tell, like, the light is flickering, like, weird behind her. And you're like, what's that? And she turns around. Well, this is cut together all fucking weird. Like, she's pulling her out of the tub. But maybe that didn't really happen. What would you do if you, like, found this kind of scenario? Well, first, I would, like, walk away and pretend I didn't see anything. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that that would be it. Well, ho- but hold on. Then I would start thinking to myself, what if somebody saw me walk it? Like, what if I was, like, on camera walking it? <laughs> yeah, now leaving? you're, like, you Fuck, could, now I got, yeah, you're now. on trial for murder. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm like, shit, I, I better tell someone. Yeah, it's very strange because Sean and Lauren, to this point, it's like, well, they've barely even talked to each other. And then he's sure. like, I only did it with her because I'm in love with you. Right. I mean, Lauren's real reaction to that would be like, that's fucking crazy. I don't even know you. Like, what are you talking about? Well, I was like, say, I was kind of interested in you, but now you fucked my roommate. So I guess I'm not interested. There is something. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she would need to really go run out crying. I mean, they yeah. don't really know each other. Yeah. I, I don't know. There is something believable about it to me, though. I know. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. in the course of watching the movie, I kind of just buy it. But right. when you actually like examine it, it's like. They talked for like 10 seconds. But how many times once. in your life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> did you have like, I mean, most relationships, I feel like when I was younger, kind of started like that. So Sean now is distraught. <laughs> and ended like this, by the way, with running away in tears and finding a dead body. <laughs> Sean is distraught. He's like, since when does fucking someone else mean that I'm not faithful to you? <laughs> He's just full of like incredible quotes at this point in the movie. Laura tells Sean that Lauren is never going to want to see him again. Yeah, Laura so Sean, just loves pissing people off. Yeah, basically. so Sean just punches her in the face. Another shocking moment. Pretty shocking, and it's almost like three billboards outside of Ebbing's Missouri level of like I ridiculous can't they violence in a movie. that never gets addressed again. Right. It's like when... Francis McDormand like kicks the boy the little boy and the little girl in the crotches yeah and then that's never mentioned again and you're just like I thought this was a reality based right. thing so he just punches a girl in a hallway no one cares yeah it seems like he would certainly this would result in like an expulsion the like, whole campus signed a petition it was like she's a bitch <laughs> all right so <laughs> I will say, though, I mean, I, I it, would it surprise you if Laura's pissed a lot of people off? No. So Sean goes through some failed suicide attempts, one which seems like he's kind of genuine, but he tries to hang himself from the ceiling and then breaks the whole ceiling. Yeah. That always cracks me up, too, that he says Lauren, like, right before he kicks the chair out. I think that's so funny. <laughs> he's like, Lauren. And he kicks the chair, and then he's, like, immediately regretting it, and then he falls to the floor. <laughs> Then he's trying to, like, cut his wrist, and he can't get the razor to work, and then he takes a bunch of pills, and then he just pisses his pants. Dimetap, yeah. (laughs) It's really sad. And that's when we get our Victor moment. Took a charter flight on a DC-10 to London, landed at Heathrow, took a cab at the city center. Don't let people lie to you, hostels are for the ugly. I'm staying in Home House, the most beautiful hotel in the world. Called a friend from school who was selling hash, but she wasn't in. Met a couple of Brits who would take me to, of all places, Camden Street. I flirted a bit at the Virgin Megastore, buy some CDs, then followed some girls with pink hair. I wandered around trying to get laid until it started to rain, then went back to Home House. Ministry of Sound is dead, so I go to Rim Form, but it's gay night. I find the one hetero girl in the place and we dry hump on the dance floor. We cab it back to Home House. I strip her clothes off, suck her toes, and we fuck. I hung out for four or five days, met the world's biggest DJ, Paul Oakenfold, kept missing the changing of the guards, wrote my mom a postcard I never sent, bought some speed from an Italian junkie who was trying to sell me a stolen bike, smoked a lot of hash that had too much tobacco in it, saw the Tate, saw Big Ben, ate a lot of weird English food, it rained a lot, it was expensive and I'm jonesing so I split for Amsterdam, the Dutch all know English so I didn't have to speak any Dutch which was a relief, I cruised the red light district, visit a sex show, visit a sex museum, smoke a lot of hash, I meet a Dutch TV actress and we drink absinthe at a bar called Absinthe, the museums were cool I guess, lots of Van Goghs and the Vermeers were intense, wandered around, bought a lot of pastries, ate some intense waffles, we bought some coke and I cruised the red light district until I found some blonde with big tits that reminds me of Laura. 
I gave her 100 guilders. In the end, she pulls me out and I come between her tits even though I'm wearing a rubber. Afterward, we made small talk about AIDS, her Moroccan pimp, and herself. I wait to the sound of a wino singing. It's 8 a.m. and hot as blazes. I pretend to ice skate around Central Station while someone plays the sax. Trade songs with a Kiwi girl, then split for Paris by train. One of the Sean's Lisee climbed the Eiffel Tower for only seven francs because the ticket machine was broken. Got the hang of the metro, took it everywhere, went to a Ford model party, and hooked up with a Romanian model named Karina. She tugs my cock at the Marriott Champs Lisee, which is good. We played billiards, went shopping. I think she gave me mono. Drove a Ferrari that belonged to a member of the Saudi royal family. Made out with a Dutch model in front of the Louvre. Saw the Arc de Triomphe and almost became roadkill crossing the street. Oki invites me to Dublin, so I catch an Aer Lingus flight and stay at the Morrison. Dublin rocks like you can't imagine. Oki pulled us, we spin some discs with them. Irish girls are a small leprechaun. I swap pickies with a drunk one, and after groping my abs and calling me Mr. L.A., she strips from me in the bathroom of the club. Sneak into the Guinness factory and steal some stout so good my dick goes hard. I fly to Barcelona, which was a low-rent bus. Too many fat American students, too many lame meat markets. I dropped acid at the Sagrada Familia, which was a trip, to say the least. Cruise up the coast to the Museo Galadali, but had no more acid, which sucked. Some girl from Canada calls me on my cell, so I let her listen to the church bells and catechists. Captain Cruz is beautiful, but there are no girls there, just old hippies. So I went to Switzerland, where I ironically couldn't find anyone who had the time. Took the Glacier Express up to Schiltorn, which was beautiful in a way I can't describe. Nero passed into Italy and ended up in Venice, where I met a hot girl who looks like Rachel Lee Cook and speaks better English than I do. She's living for a year on only $5 a day. We gondola around, buy some masks. She thinks I'm a capitalist because my hotel room costs more for one night than she's spending her entire trip. But she doesn't mind it so much when I pay the bills. I ditch her and hook up with a couple who obviously want a threesome. Too much tension there, but the doofus off should drive me to Rome, an offer I jump at. Traffic is bad and we're stopped for hours without moving. The wife turns out to be a freak. The guy starts to wig out on me. It's like a Polanski film. We stop for a while in Florence where I see some big dome. A bomb goes off and I lose the weird couple, which is probably for the best. Ended up in Rome, which is big and hot and dirty. It was just like LA, but with ruins. I went to the Vatican, which was ridiculously opulent. Stood for two hours to get in the Sistine Chapel, which now that it's been cleaned, looks fake. I meet two underage Italian girls who I try to talk into fucking each other while I jack off onto them. Bored, I buy them some ice cream instead. My hotel is a gym, so I work out. I bump into some guy from Camden who says he knows me, but I'm sure that he's a fag, so I lose him. I try to fart and instead shit my pants. Back in my hotel room, I masturbate and have a pain in my groin. That night, I dream about a beautiful girl half in water, stretching her lean body. She asked me if I like it, and I told her she could clean fish with it. I don't know what it means, but I wake well rested, masturbate in the shower, and check out. I make my way back to London and hang out in Piccadilly Circus. Hmm, Palacon. I swap shirts with some upper crusty Cambridge chick. Hers was an Agnes B, mine a costume nationale. She acts stuffy and prudish, but is really wild underneath it all. She barely looks at my abs, though she wants to. The next day, I drop some acid and get lost in the subway for a full day and can't find my way out. I meet a cute girl as we jack off onto her as long as no cum gets onto her Paul Smith coat. We get stoned while listening to Michael Jackson records and the next morning I wake up talking to myself. I have a big bump on my head from flailing in my sleep. I get my stuff and barely make my plane back to the United States. I no longer know who I am and I feel like the ghost of a total stranger. It's funny because... Comes in so late, yet so fun. The, the Victor European chapter in the book happens like way early. And he gets some later chapters eventually, but like the actual one in Europe that this one is based off of is very early, whereas this comes towards the end of the film. And really all we can say about the Victor thing is like, it turns out that Lauren, who we thought was normal, is just as delusional as the rest of right, them. Yeah. She's living some fantasy that doesn't exist. Victor because seems clearly like- Victor is off on his own reality. Yeah, and it seems like he had a good time in Europe. A lot of shit happens. There's a lot to say about this. Okay, I so will say the trip sounded fucking exhausting. I was like... Oh, yeah. I mean, who uh, could do this? Yeah, this is insane. Because it's not even just like going to all these different countries and he's like, you know, sleeping with women and stuff. But he's also like doing all sorts of drugs. Yeah. It just feels like by the end of this, you would be dead. Right. During this sequence where Victor tells us of all these events in very quick order, part of it is a bomb goes off. I don't know if you remember that. I do. That 
is tied in with Brady Sinellis' novel Glamorama, of which Victor is the main character. Okay. And Avery got the film rights for The Rules of Attraction and Glamorama, and he planned to do a movie in between tying them together called Glitterati, which was to star Kit Pardue as Victor. And it's supposed to just bridge the gap, and it's filmed, and it exists, and... I always thought the reason it never came out was because it's like the Victor portion of Rules of Attraction. Kind of looks like handheld camera footage. Well, where they just inter- it's kind of like how Scarlett Johansson just like interacted with people right. in character okay, yeah. and then they used it for under the skin. That it's like that and that they didn't get everyone to sign waivers. Well, apparently they did get everyone to sign waivers. And the reason it's not been released is it incorporates a lot of songs into the plot and into oh, wow. the movie and they don't have the music rights and it's like way too expensive okay so it's a music rights issue they can't do it without those songs i think it's tied in with plot elements and okay stuff. Gotcha. i don't i i didn't really understand it either because it seems crazy but it does exist and select well, I, few people have seen it there's like that secret club of directors like you know right. tons of people are in like tarantino and whoever yeah, apparently yeah. they've seen it david o russell yeah i think Spike Jones probably, but who knows? I mean, that now at this point we're talking 15 years later because I think it was supposed to come out in 04. I I don't think it'll ever really see the light of day. It doesn't at this point. seem like I it. I don't know why. Who would put the money behind it now? Yeah, well, there was some rumors like a few years ago that Avery said that some European company was going to, but I mean that was at this point that was like four or five years ago. Nothing that would be happened. really cool. If it, I mean, I'm sure it's probably like completely forgettable, but. It serves no purpose now because I don't really think there's any reason to go back and do Glamorama. I don't really think that that film would be commercially viable anyway. Okay. So it would be bridging the gap between two movies. With the second one not existing? Yeah, who knows? But that's where the Victor thing goes. That's how Glamorama ties in with all of this. Not that anyone cares. (laughs) After his big long scene, there's... Mitchell, Victor, and Sean at a diner, which is funny because Sean, it's kind of implied that like Sean is friends, uh, not friends with, but knows Victor. Yeah. Which is interesting. I definitely got the vibe that they like hang out and run in the same circle. And almost immediately you're like, Victor is like an awful douche. And he, in this scene, somehow makes Sean and the other main characters of the movie seem not so bad. That's true. Because <laughs> you're just kind of like, Jesus, this guy. Victor wants to buy some coke from Sean, and he gives him $300 up front, but he doesn't trust Sean, so he makes Mitchell go with Sean to go get it, and Sean's got to go to see Rupert. Who he's on sketchy terms with. Yeah, so it ends with Mitchell having to go along with Sean to get it. Your car, I drive, Sean says, and Mitchell's got like this yellow BMW thing. So they go to Rupert's. Sean makes Mitchell come inside with him. Everything goes to shit immediately because right. of this money that he owes Rupert. And he tries to say that Mitchell has it. <laughs> and Mitchell's like freaking out. It's funny because Mitchell to this point has been just like this background character that's in like two scenes. And now now he's sudden, involved in like the, what almost feels like the climax yeah, of the like movie. Yeah, like this wild yeah. action sequence thrown into the middle here. There's this big fight with Rupert and some of his Rupert's guys. Rupert's like right hand man gets like his arm, I don't know, mutilated? <laughs> what happens with that? I don't know, because it didn't seem to affect him later. Right, I know. It's just like it cut. seems cut like it would have done some damage. So there's a fight. They flee. They run out of there. They race back to campus. At the end of all this, Sean has the drugs. Yeah. 
Which I don't. Did he have them all along? I don't know. He, he grabbed he them, them in there? the melee. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, he just gives like Mitchell some shit, but Laura tells Lauren that Victor's back from Europe. And as viewers, we already know how this will play out because right. we already, we just know that this is not what <laughs> this is. Lauren is not headed into something great here. We know this isn't going to be good. I will say it is one of my favorite shots in the movie. Just the, I mean, it's terrible for Lauren, but the way that it's done is pretty perfect. Yeah. So she rejects Sean one more time on the way over. She tells him about Victor, and Sean's just like, "Fucking Victor!" Yeah. <laughs> like the way he says it is funny. <laughs> yeah, like. Like the biggest douche. He's like, Victor. <laughs> and he asked her about the letters, but I always thought it was funny that she doesn't outright deny writing the letters in this moment. Right. <laughs> so Sean still is kind of like not sure what's going on. And he says that he wants to know her, and she says no one knows anyone else ever. You will never know me. I will say there is like a harsh reality to this conversation between the two of them, and, and it's like, Obviously, like, we're, like, so old now, but I can remember being, like, 20 and, like, knowing or being aware of a girl having a crush on me and then, you know, it not existing anymore. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that was always a brutal thing to deal with for me. Well, yeah, I mean, you weren't alone. (laughs) This was, like, Avery's favorite shot in the movie. I think it was one of the more expensive things they did because CG was still pretty new, especially to this extent, but they have that tear created by a snowflake True. landing on his eye because it symbolizes thinking, how he can't really feel emotions himself. I was thinking Blade Runner here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like tears and <in> snow. <laughs> Lauren goes to see Victor and he doesn't even know who she is, which is just kind of a, I think the first time you see this movie, it's kind of shocking, yet it shouldn't be surprising at all. Yeah. But it's still kind of like, what? Like, I know. He doesn't it, even know who she is? It does seem crazy to me because I was definitely taking it like they were in a relationship before. Obviously, that is not the case. Right. Maybe they had some sort of one night hookup that didn't result in sex type thing or something. Yeah. But, I mean, he is like, I'm sorry, I have no idea who you are, but you do smell really good. There's like a note written on his. I did notice door. this. It's yeah. like, be careful. The t- test came back positive yeah. or something. <laughs> and Laura is in Victor's room, bouncing on the bed in another Just lingerie dancing ghetto. Dancing around, like frolicking about. Sucking on her thumb. Right. With a Santa hat bouncing on the bed. I mean, she's just like a living sex doll. And in this throwing movie. it in the face of Lauren intentionally. Yeah, she waves at Lauren. Like, in kind of, like, a cutesy way. Right. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, it is so diabolical. Paul spots Sean sitting in the snow. Oh, boy. Looks like it's going to be a cold one. (laughs) So pathetic. (laughs) Yeah, that is great. Paul basically disappears from this movie for, like, I I don't want to say a third of it, but, like, probably about a fourth of it. And so Paul, when he shows up here at the end, he spots Sean sitting in the snow. And Sean tells Paul the same thing Lauren told him, which is, you will never know me. Right. Now, Sean also here, this is what I was uh, alluding to earlier when he kind of... Yeah. He seems to finally, like, be like, dude, stop it. Yeah, like, I wish you wouldn't say things to me like that. It's not happening, whatever you're thinking. Right, yeah. It is like the one time where it seems like he's almost addressing it directly. Right. So there's no more letters in Sean's box, which because he's not aware that the person giving them letters has committed suicide. 
he's leaving that little mail area when Rupert and his main guys show up and they beat the shit out of Sean with like a bat. Yeah. Because they're Which, they're especially way, pissed because Sean all of a sudden is like, well, my brother just wired the money to my account. You know that. A brief, and they're just like, well, you had a, it was that easy. Right. right? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, because I think there is a part even in Patrick's chapter in the Rules of Attraction where he asks Sean about the seven thousand that he wired to his account or something like that. Wow. And Sean says something like, "I never, I haven't touched it or something." So meaning like it's just there. So he has this money the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. And now we're back to the end of the world party, which kicked off the whole movie from the beginning. But now things have changed, and what we saw in the opening may not have been written in stone, because instead of taking Kate Bosworth up to his room to fuck, Sean turns and leaves the party. Right? I mean, yeah. he clearly doesn't do the thing with Kate Bosworth. He, he no, just right. turns around he and walks see, out of the room. He sees room. Lauren walk by with the film major again, and then he just walks out. Yeah, so perhaps his fate has changed somehow, although I'm not really sure why or how but then we get a cut to kind of the front porch of the party or whatever and it's paul and fucking lauren yeah and lauren it, comes out and it definitely seems like none of that lauren so maybe he she happened. like decided not to go through with yeah. it and that paul and lauren kind of talk about sean yeah together and he asks about the notes and she tells Paul that she didn't put notes in anybody's box. Well, Paul is, it, it almost feels like he's admitting defeat here or something. Like he's kind of telling Lauren, like, you know, Sean really likes you. Like <laughs> that's yeah. the way it's kind of coming off. And she's just like, who cares? Yeah, she's completely lost interest. So Sean rides on his motorcycle in the snowy nighttime streets. His narration closes the film. He says a lot of stuff, but eventually he says, at first I thought there were things about her that I would never forget, but in the end all I could think about was, and then it cuts off abruptly mid-sentence. Right. Just as it, the movie starts, and then this, the credits run in reverse. This part <laughs> does look really cool of him driving off into like the snowy, desolate road. Mm -hmm. Like It looks pretty sweet. You definitely feel like, even before that, that this is a really bad idea because they've shown him drinking a bottle of whiskey and like even when he's getting on the bike it's kind of sliding through the parking lot yeah so you you feel like this is heading nowhere good right how is how does this happen in the book the same that's it the, just the ends book in the ends middle of like a sentence that. okay yeah. just like how it begins in the middle of a thing are we supposed to take it that this is the end of sean bateman i don't think so is he in later works of Brady's Stanellis? not that i can remember mm. He's not mentioned at all in American Psycho. The way it's portrayed on film, it definitely feels like this doesn't end well for him. Yeah. That's the way I'm taking it. I think it's funny because I read American Psycho. Don't Stop Believing was playing. <laughs> yeah, it is very <laughs> Sopranos. I read American Psycho before Rules of Attraction, and the movie came out before Rules of Attraction. Right. And so it always felt like Sean being his younger brother is like an afterthought. It's like, oh, yeah, there's this other character. It's going to be Patrick Bateman's younger brother. Right. It's like, that's really not how it is in the books, how it uh, he existed pre-Patrick Bateman. And so it is interesting that he's not mentioned at all, as far as I can remember. Yeah, American that's true. Psycho. American Psycho is pretty long, so I don't don't know if I would have forgotten it. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting movie, especially for the time period when it came out, because it was like the tail end of the big teen craze that started in like 97 98 and went till about 
2002. So this was like the end of that. Yeah, yeah. This was like the that logical conclusion of like, well, what would these psychopaths from teen movies actually <laughs> be like? Yeah. Because this is what you would have to be like to be one of these people to participate in one of these horrible bets right. or do the shitty things that people do in those movies where it's not necessarily all fun and games. It's like, well, no, I mean, you have to be a psychopath and here they are in college together. This is basically what it was going to be like for Preston and Amanda once they got <laughs> yeah. to college. Yeah, based on when the novel itself came out, you could see it as like the answer to like the John Hughes teen movies of the 80s. Okay, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of its own separate thing. It's not like you really think of like Less Than Zero well, as anything connected to that world or anything. I don't know. Well, Less Than Zero feels like the conclusion to the John Hughes movies because of the actors that are in it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's only so many actors. That's true. I imagine if I saw this the first time and there was just a scene with like Andrew McCarthy and Jamie Gertz, I would have been like, what the fuck was the point of that scene? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think there does come a time where you would be doing things for such a small percentage of the audience that it's like, why are you doing this? Right. Like, just don't bother doing it. <laughs> In retrospect, like, would something like that seem cool now? Probably. Yeah. But it also wouldn't have necessarily made, like, a ton of sense because Clay is supposed to be, like, at school at the same time as them. He's not supposed I know, to be, like, right. older than them. It would have kind of changed everything around. But whatever. All right. So if you haven't seen Rules of Attraction, I would definitely check it out. It's Give it a watch. It's available on Blu-ray out there for pretty cheap. Yeah, it's a dark funny movie maybe a little bit heavy underrated dark yeah it was a success but pretty minor success okay (laughs) roger avery kind of a weird career since this time period yeah obviously you know had some legal troubles there was an incident but really it's like cinematically what has he done i mean i think we all remember that he wrote the screenplay for beowulf (laughs) yeah everyone's remembering (laughs) that together (laughs) <laughs> I think he might have wrote the screenplay for the Silent Hill movie, too, the first one. Oof. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for the <laughs> Rules of Attraction. And, yeah, just follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on iTunes. And we'll keep rolling. All right. See ya. Could be wrong. I could be right.
What's wrong? I told you it came. I was born in a Holiday Inn. 